This episode is brought to you by Indeed. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash journal. Terms and conditions apply. For years, British politician Boris Johnson has pushed for the UK's exit from the European Union. And if we vote leave on June the 23rd, we can take back control of £350 million a week. Johnson is ready to go through with one particular path for leaving the EU, one that many say is the worst-case scenario, leaving without any plan in place, what's known as a no-deal Brexit. We said that no deal was better than a bad deal, so how can we conceivably take no deal uh, off the table? I certainly won't. Now, and therefore I give notice, Boris Johnson has just become Prime Minister of Great Britain. As the leader of the Conservative and Unionist Party. Today on the show, a no-deal Brexit. Why Johnson might take this path and what it means for all of us if he does. Welcome to The Journal, our show about money, business, and power. I'm Kate Leinbaum. And I'm Ryan Knudsen. It's Wednesday, July 24th. I mean, Boris is, you know, there's no end of cliches I could reach for. Jason Douglas has been reporting on the economic impact of Brexit for The Wall Street Journal. He's larger than life. He's one of the UK's most recognizable politicians. Um, He has a shock of blonde hair. He's a funny guy. He goes on TV a lot. He used to be uh, mayor of London. He was later foreign secretary. He has this sort of bumbling persona. But of course, a lot of people say that behind this public face is really quite a driven and ambitious politician. And by all accounts, he he has wanted to be prime minister for a very long time, and he's finally uh, managed to get the job. Johnson's long-standing support of leaving the European Union is a big factor in his victory. The, The big thing is the Leave campaign at the time of the referendum generally advocated very close ties to the EU after Brexit. Since then, the tenor of the Leave side has very much moved towards, let's just leave. You know, they've hardened their position considerably, and Boris in turn has hardened his position. So his big pitch to win the leadership of the Conservative Party was that he is prepared to take the UK out of the European Union on October the 31st, which is the latest deadline, without a deal. Since the UK initially voted to leave the European Union in 2016, Politicians have been trying to figure out how exactly to get out. There are a lot of options. They could negotiate a smooth exit with the EU, or they could potentially even reverse course and hold another referendum and decide not to leave at all. But the situation we're in now is a bit like a car on cruise control heading toward a cliff. If politicians don't do anything, they would drive the UK automatically over that ledge. Johnson's predecessor, Theresa May, originally agreed to a March deadline to leave the EU. But when March came, the UK still hadn't figured out how exactly to get out. So they pushed the deadline back to October 31st. Boris Johnson has strong feelings about that. He wants a plan, yes, but he also wants to stick to that deadline no matter what. We will, of course, be pushing our plan into action. 
So we understand. And getting ready to come out on October the, the 31st. 31st, correct. Come, come what may. Come what may. Do or die. Come what may. Do or die. No deal means leaving this overnight. It means being inside the club, and then it means the next day being outside it, being treated like any other third country, as in the EU jargon, as anyone who isn't a member of this club. All your rights as a member state fall away, all your obligations as a member state fall away. One way to understand Brexit, a no-deal Brexit, is to say it would be kind of like California leaving the United States overnight. It would be, you know, hugely disruptive. These economies, the UK and the rest of the European Union, just like California and the United States, are very, very interwoven. And if you sever this extremely abruptly, then you're going to have a lot of disruption. That disruption is largely economic. You know, on day one, you would suddenly face all these obstacles to trade that had previously been completely sort of unfettered and free and easy. So you would have things like customs checks on your exports to the EU and also on things that you wish to import from the EU. British ports and airports just aren't used to this kind of trade at the minute. Trucks just roll on and off the ferries from continental Europe and go through the Channel Tunnel with no checks at all. So to give you an example, the guy that runs the port of Dover, which is where a lot of this traffic comes from, said that if you have a two-minute delay to traffic, then you would get a tailback of trucks 17 miles long. And the worry is that this disruption, if it sort of builds up and builds up, then you start having to worry about things like shortages of things like food and medicines. This is very much a worst-case scenario, I should say. And then as for things like tariffs, you know, half the UK's exports go to the EU. So you're suddenly facing whatever it is, 10% tariffs on cars, Things like food, you know, it's much higher. It's 20% or more. I think on dairy products, it's, you know, up to 40%. And the EU is a big market for many, many businesses in the United Kingdom. So this is what no deal means. We should say just the Brexiters kind of dispute this. They say this kind of thing is scaremongering, that if you prepare right, then you can minimize the risks and things will be okay. But most business executives we speak to, most, you know, economists and so on, all think there are real serious risks of, of disruption. Some of these economic effects are already happening. Uncertainty around Brexit has hit the UK real estate market, business investment, and the pound has fallen. The prospect of a no-deal Brexit could also destabilize global markets. So as a no-deal Brexit has started to feel more likely, some businesses in the UK are spending a lot more time preparing. People have started to really think about what it is they need to do to prepare. Now, in a sense, we kind of saw this already earlier in the year when the original Brexit deadline approach. And we saw a real ramping up of particularly sort of corporate activity in the area of getting ready for Brexit. So you have things like stockpiling. So, you know, companies were sulking away raw materials, components, other stuff that they would need to make their products in the event that these disruptions affected their ability to get stuff in. You saw some of the big uh, car production factories shut them down over this uh, Brexit period. And then you even saw, you know, ordinary people preparing in, in some way. There's kind of a little cadre of preppers who've been, you know, putting away, uh, you know, baby milk and whatever else in order, you know, just to make sure that they didn't face any disruption themselves. So what exactly are these preppers doing? After the break? We have a contingency plan, which hopefully will work. And tell me, what does it look like? It's like a sweet shop. Um, sort of boxes of sweets to the ceiling, except it's not sweets. This episode is brought to you by Indeed. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. 
Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash journal. Terms and conditions apply. This episode is brought to you by Volvo Cars. Distractions happen, but there are things that can help you stay focused, like the fully electric seven-seater Volvo EX90. It was made to help keep you and those around you on the road safe with LiDAR technology that can see what you sometimes can't and a two-camera driver understanding system designed to prevent distractions and help you stay focused. Visit volvocars.com slash US to learn more. Good afternoon, Admiral Souls. How can I help? Yes, this is Ryan Knudsen calling from the Wall Street Journal. I'm calling for Simon Topman. Yes, yeah, sure. Just bear with me. Thank you. Hi, Ryan. Hi there. How are you doing? I'm doing well. How are you? Um, surviving, despite the fact that we're having what for the UK is a very unusual heat wave. We just suffer. It's often the British way. Well, thanks so much for taking the time to chat. I really appreciate it. First, can you just introduce yourself and tell us what you do? Yeah, my name is Simon Topman. I'm the managing director of the Acme Whistle Company. The Acme Whistle Company. And what do you make there at the Acme Whistle Company? Well, the Acme Whistle Company was famous 150 years ago, or it will be 150 next year, uh, for inventing the world's first police whistle. And since then, over the last 150 years, we've gone on to specialize in making whistles of all kinds, whether it's dog whistles or sports whistles or whistles for trains or musical whistles. And am I correct to say that you also made the whistles that were used in the Titanic? We did, yes. Um, That's the only sinking ship we particularly want to be associated with. (laughs) Can you bring me back to what you were thinking and feeling when the original Brexit vote, the original Brexit referendum happened in 2016. You don't need to be a genius to know that if you've been in a really close partnership with somebody for 40 years, there will be all sorts of things in place which then need to be unraveled. And that, if it's taken 40 years to build, will not be unraveled in five minutes. And we'll have all sorts of complicated implications, many of which will be very difficult to predict. Since the referendum in 2016, just sort of walk me through all the things that you've done to prepare for Brexit. Right. Well, the first thing is, of course, to check what tariffs will apply to our business and make sure that our important customers know what those tariffs will be and that they're not going to be taken by surprise or suddenly think there's been a price rise. We have discussed with them the holding of stock. So meaning that you've been, you've been building up um, yes, your supplies, essentially. Yeah. And what is that exactly? Like you, um, brass or what do you use to make the, your whistles? Well, it takes several things. One, building up stocks of brass, building up stocks of plastics. Anything that we import and might be difficult to get, we've made sure that we've got plenty of it so that we can go for at least six months without buying a thing. In addition, we want to make sure that the buyers of our product have got lots of it on the shelf. So does this mean that you've got like extra warehouse space where your products are stacking to the ceiling? Yes, exactly as you described. It's it's like a sweet shop, Um, sort of boxes of sweets to the ceiling, except it's whistles, not sweets, Um, (laughs) in all colors, in all varieties, in all sounds and shapes. 
there they are in these boxes and they will sell the great thing about whistles it's not like putting in tomatoes or vegetables or something they'll still be good in six months time so that's been a nice advantage for us which not every business has of course and looking at alternative routes to market by that i mean literally distribution routes if we think certain ports are likely to be difficult can we go to other ones Mm -hmm. if we think shipping might be difficult can we do overland lorries in some areas Um, are we better off shipping stuff to germany and shipping it from germany to other parts of the eu rather than trying to ship directly to france making sure the logistics are in place so that Whatever happens, we have a contingency plan which hopefully will work. Uh-huh. I'll tell you what my biggest fear is, and it isn't around logistics or prices or tariffs. It's where people just think, we don't want you anymore. And we had one customer emailed me, chap in Holland, and I remember this because I, I was so amazed that he even knew the phrase. Um, there's an old phrase going back to the 19th century that term Britannia, that's us, rules the waves which in those days we probably did. And this email from his Dutch customer said, you British must remember you no longer rule the waves. Interesting. I was shocked that he even knew about that. Yeah. (laughs) But the sentiment was there. You're not the big dogs. We aren't going to be doing so much with you anymore. Who do you think you are? That was his message. You can always deal with price. You can always deal with marketing. There's always options with packaging and transport. How do you deal with that? Yeah. And how do you feel about that October 31st deadline? Would you rather the UK stick to it, deal or no deal? Or would you be okay with seeing it pushed back? No, I think we've got to stick to it. The problem is it'll be pushed back and pushed back and pushed back. You can't negotiate like that. Mm. Uh, There's got to be a deadline where you say, that's it. And everybody is under pressure then to do a deal. So whilst I think the 31st of October is a bit of an arbitrary date, really, Uh, Nevertheless, it's a date that's been fixed, and we should now stick to it. Regardless of how big an impact Brexit has, our colleague Jason Douglas says that the effects will be felt long after October 31st. Brexit should not be understood as a moment in time. It's a process, and a process that could last decades. I think this is something that actually hasn't really permeated the public debate here that much. We talk about the withdrawal agreement as if that's the beginning and end of Brexit. That's not even a tenth of what this is about. We, you know, The European Union and the United Kingdom haven't even started talking at length about what future trading relationship they're going to have. I mean, this is just something that is unprecedented, will have very deep economic effects for the UK in particular, and probably also for the European Union, and will take a very long time to play out. On Wednesday, Johnson addressed the nation. The doubters, the doomsters... The gloomsters, they are going to get it wrong again. And hinted at his plans for the future of Brexit. And we're going to fulfill the repeated promises of Parliament to the people and come out of the EU on October the 31st. No ifs or buts. And we will do a new deal, a better deal. October 31st is 99 days away. I have every confidence that in 99 days' time, we will have cracked it. But you know what? We aren't going to wait 99 days, because the British people have had enough of waiting. The time has come to act, to take decisions, to give strong leadership and to change this country for the better. That's all for today, Wednesday, July 24th. 
The Journal is a co-production of Gimlet and The Wall Street Journal. Thanks for listening. We'll see you on Friday. What's your most expensive whistle and what's your cheapest? The most expensive is, in English money, £26,000. So I suppose that's about 35000 US dollars. £26,000 for a whistle? Yeah, well, it's diamond encrusted. Wow, what's the market for that? Bigger than you would think. No kidding.